page 1597 in the Pew Bible in front of you. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 31. Jesus has been driven out of his hometown of Nazareth, and so we pick up this account in the Gospel of Luke. Luke 4, 31 through 44, God's word, our authority and faith and in life. Please give your attention to its reading. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Christ. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. Well, a soldier and a doctor may seem like they have very different jobs. At least one similarity, however, is that both tend to be fairly sleep-deprived. Oftentimes, soldiers are either fighting at night or keeping watch or they're restless and can't get any rest. While doctors can be called in to address problems or perform surgeries at all hours of the night, all of these are taxing jobs where there is no set downtime usually. There are other ways in which their work finds parallel. A doctor is not only trying to fix things or trying to heal things, but in many ways he is doing battle with the sickness or the ailment that his patient has. He is trying to vanquish it, to defeat this sickness. Meanwhile, a soldier is not only fighting the enemy, but when they fight for good, they are trying not only to vanquish evil or to defeat it, but to bring peace and healing. Doctors, in a sense, fight and do battle while those who fight for freedom and good and justice are trying to bring healing. This passage before us today highlights two roles that are filled by Jesus, our Savior. He is a divine warrior, 
and he is a divine healer. If we remember last week's passage, Jesus read from the prophet Isaiah, and he said that all of these things are fulfilled in him. This passage is in the shadow of that passage, and we see that Jesus begins to fulfill the mission of heavenly jubilee. That's what this passage proves to us. As warrior and healer, Jesus shows that he shows by his miracles that the kingdom of God is the only thing that can ultimately conquer and heal. All those whom Jesus saves and heals are empowered to get up and to serve him in gratitude. He is a divine warrior and a divine healer. Let us turn to the text then and see first then Jesus, the divine warrior. In the beginning of this account, Jesus has left Nazareth his hometown where he was rejected, and he goes now into Capernaum. This was a city north of Nazareth, on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. If we think of Galilee as a region, Nazareth is in the southwest suburbs, and Galilee is on the north shore. So Jesus has now gone up to this town on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. His teaching ministry continues. We see the centrality of Jesus' teaching. Goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath to preach and teach from the word of God. Luke has taught us a lot about the content of Jesus' preaching. That he fulfills the prophecies from Isaiah 61. He proclaims liberty to the captives and gives sight to the blind. He has come to bring heavenly jubilee to earth. His teaching again, as it was last week, is being met with rave reviews. This shows us that Jesus' teaching was probably very clear and understandable. People not only enjoy listening to him, but they agree with what he is saying. The people sit in silence, amazed at all the things he proclaims. We can probably guess that a lot of the things he's talking about is how the promises of God are being fulfilled of how all of these things are going to be realized in the very near future. And so even though most are amazed, and many people are probably trying to process all of the things that he is saying, one man cannot stand it any longer, and he screams out at the top of his lungs. This would be a bit like being in perhaps a a college lecture classroom, and one of the students is disagreeing, So fiercely with the things that the teacher is saying that he or she gets up in the middle of the class to challenge the professor on the content of his lecture. I had the experience one time of of seeing all of this unfold. And I remember it quite clearly because I was the one who stood up in the middle of class in my first year of college. I still disagree with the professor, but uh, maybe learned that maybe I did not have the best methods back then. But this man is not just angry. He is possessed by a demon. The word for evil in verse 33 is actually the Greek for unclean. What takes place as he screams out is a confrontation between this powerful spiritual person, this man possessed by this powerful spirit, And Jesus Christ, our Lord. When we look at what the the demon says through the man, it is puzzling. On the one hand, he seems nervous or scared of Jesus. What do you want with us, he says. It's as if he knows Jesus has an authority that is above his own. 
But on the other hand, in verse 34, the second half of what he says seems to show more confidence. I know who you are, he says, the Holy One of God. There's a lot within this encounter that we cannot intimately understand. But in the first century, there was a strong connection between exorcism and the proclaiming of names. There was power in speaking the name of a spirit. And so it seems as if here that the demon is making an attempt to gain an advantage over Jesus in this encounter by saying his name. He says it twice. His human name, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says his divine name, the Holy One of God. He is trying to use it against Jesus to overcome his authority. This would be a bit like cornering a small but ornery animal in a corner. For instance, if you've ever seen something like a a fox being cornered in a hen house or a barn, it all of a sudden becomes very fierce. And even though it's small, even though it's probably outmatched against any human, it's going to fight with everything it has. It will go down swinging. And that is a little bit of what this demon-possessed man is doing here and now. This confirms for us something about what Jesus is doing with his teaching. He is proclaiming that the kingdom of God is present in him. The kingdom of God is advancing. And this is what makes the demon-possessed man so angry. There's another episode in the Gospel of Matthew that gives us a peek into this encounter. Matthew 8.29, there are two men who are demon-possessed, who are living outside of their village because they're so strong and powerful and violent and causing so many problems. Jesus confronts these two men in Matthew chapter 8. And they start by saying the exact same question as we find the demon asking Jesus here. What do you want with us? But then they say something very interesting. Have you come to torment us before the time? Before the time. Apparently they know that there had been an appointed time where their power, their authority would be challenged or confronted or taken away. But they do not expect it to be then. Apparently they think it is more at the end of all things. But Jesus does not let that deter him. He does challenge them. He does confront them. And he heals the men who are possessed by these unclean demons. Jesus did this even though it was before the time. What we see from this is that the kingdom of God that Jesus keeps talking about and what we, as we see him mention it at the end of this passage, what the kingdom of God is connected to is a kingly rule and a kingly reign that Jesus is coming to enact and to enforce on the earth. When Jesus confronts these demons, he is in a sense stepping on their turf. He is challenging the authority of these spiritual powers and he has come to assert his authority over them. Their time for freely roaming around and exacting their power and their authority is done. Jesus steps on their turf and he says, my kingly reign is going to come to be realized here. And as they clash, Jesus shows that his authority is like no one else. It's contained not just generally in his teaching, it's contained not just in his actions, but down to every word that he says. There's a key word in verse 35 that our translation misses a little bit, but we need to make note of it. 
where Jesus says in verse 35, Jesus said sternly, where we read that, the verb there is actually rebuke. And we see that pop up a couple other times in our passage in verses 39 and 41. It's important to highlight because we're going to make connections between these two halves of the story. So thus in, 30, in verse 35 we read this. Jesus rebuked him and said, be quiet, come out of him. This word for rebuke is connected in the Old Testament to the idea of God speaking against and confronting the forces of evil. It is a way that God brings his assault upon the forces of evil. In other words, Jesus is acting here as a warrior in God's divine army. He is taking back territory that, where the evil forces of the world have run rampant. He's stepping onto their turf, challenging and bringing his assault upon them. He is rebuking them. Yes, it is before the time. For the demons were not expecting any of this to happen before the end of all things, before the day of the Lord. But Jesus has come to bring heavenly jubilee, even if it is a way in which the demons don't understand, even if it is a way in which the prophets largely did not understand. And this is the mystery about the coming of Jesus Christ, the mystery about what he did in his first coming. He brings all of these future blessings into the present What unfolds before our eyes in this passage is, in a sense, something like the judgment that will happen at the end of all things when God comes to make his kingdom fully known and fully realized. This is a little picture of that end times event here today. Jesus is coming and bringing his kingly reign and his kingly rule. There is a mystery to it. He brings the future into the present, the kingdom of God being realized Now, because of that, because of who Jesus is, this demon is no match for Jesus. He is forced to come out of the man. The man is thrown down upon the ground, but but we read that no further harm comes to him. What we are intended to notice about this story, about Jesus being a divine warrior who comes to assert this kingly reign, who comes to confront these spiritual forces, is that he is fulfilling the promises of Isaiah 61. As I said earlier, this passage lies in the shadow of what we just read of Jesus at Nazareth. And Luke is proving to us what he asserted about Jesus in that passage. He is the one who fulfills all of these prophecies from Isaiah. And here is the proof that he is doing so. He is a divine warrior who has come to make God's kingdom realized. And he does so with authority and power like no one else. He is not only a divine warrior, but he is a divine healer. He is a divine healer. And that's what we read in the second half of this story. After the synagogue lets out, Jesus is not done for the day. Normally after church service Pastors, preachers are looking for maybe a little time to unwind, but Jesus gets no rest here. They go to the house of Simon. Uh, That is Peter. He is apparently living, uh, or his mother-in-law is living in his house, or at least visiting them. We have not yet met Simon Peter in this gospel, 
But we see here that he is probably either traveling with Jesus at this point or they know each other. And it reminds us that sometimes Luke arranges his gospel thematically or theologically rather than strictly chronologically. And yet this story is another example of the Isaiah 61 prophecy. To show that Jesus fulfills all of the things that have been promised about him. Though Jesus does something different than rebuking a demon, it is a way to show that he is bringing his kingdom, his kingly reign, into the present. Peter's mother-in-law is very sick with a high fever. And in that time, that meant that she was at great risk of dying. Many people did not come through things like that in that day. Her relatives and her friends begged Jesus to intercede on her behalf. There's no evidence of a demon possessing her or anything like that. And yet Jesus rebukes the illness just the same. In verse 39 it says he rebukes the fever. And that is the same word that we read in verse 35 where Jesus rebukes the demon. After she is healed because of the power of Jesus, she immediately gets up to serve Jesus and his followers. That's not the main thrust of this text, not the main reason of why it's here, but it's a beautiful picture of what actually happens to us in Christ Jesus. We're unable to help ourselves, we're unable to get ourselves out of the problem of, our, of the things that so easily entangle us, the forces of evil, the forces of death, but when Jesus makes us alive again, we are enabled and empowered to immediately get up and to serve him. The Gospel of Luke often focuses on the grace of Jesus Christ going to the people who uh, are in that time, in that day and age, were not thought of as very important. Peasant women, people who are poor, people who are sick. There's people in, at, at that time in society that were not very important, but Jesus comes to them. Jesus shows them their importance. Jesus shows them that he cares for them. And so this woman who is probably poor, probably does not have much power in the world at all, Jesus takes the time to heal her. She is empowered to get up and to serve her Savior. But what can we make about the connection between Jesus rebuking the demon and rebuking the fever? We learn once again that Jesus has a power like no one else. His authority is not found in doing spiritual feats of strength. Uh, he's not doing this just to leave people impressed, just to get people to say, oh wow, he can really do some cool stuff. Jesus is not some kind of righteous magician who goes throughout the countryside giving people a show that they've never seen before. That's not the point of what he is doing. What he is doing is much greater and much more significant. Because if we think about what Jesus is doing in the casting out of the demon and in the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, both of these are signs pointing to a greater reality. Think about it. Neither of these are, are ultimate healings, are they? Peter's mother-in-law is, her fever is gone, but she's not still with us today. Old age or sickness eventually got the best of her. The same thing is true of this man who was possessed by the demon. Both of these are signs pointing to a greater reality. And what Jesus is showing us about his power and his authority is that he can not only address the symptoms 
of evil. But he can address the root source of the problems of evil and sin. Jesus is the one who is powerful enough to go right to the source, the forces of evil and sin and death, and assert his authority over them. These are destructive death forces. Sickness, possession of demons. These are forces of evil. And Jesus is showing that he has the power to be the divine healer of all of these things. But Jesus, powerful and miraculous in many ways, cannot just keep doing these miracles one by one if there is to be an eternal salvation. If he is to be truly the divine healer. All of these things, these miracles that he's doing, show the centrality of his mission is to do battle with the evil forces of death. That's what he's doing. And he's the only one with the power to do it. Secondly, we find that the kingdom of God, the heavenly jubilee, all are different ways of speaking about the new heavens and the new earth. That is what Jesus is ultimately saying, that in the kingdom of God, as he brings these blessings of the future into the present, they are all connected to when God will ultimately make all things right again in the new heavens and in the new earth. This makes Jesus a very popular character, doesn't it? Word gets out about him. People are now coming from all over the area to have Jesus heal them. So many people come to be healed by him that he ends up doing it all throughout the night. In verse 40, the sun is setting. He continues healing and casting out demons until it is daybreak in verse 42. He cures all of these people of diseases and he casts out demons. And again, we see the word rebuke in verse 41. This gives us a glimpse into the compassion of Jesus. We also learn that sickness and bodily distress are things which Jesus despises. Like the rest of us, he hates to see people have to go through sickness and suffering. And he's taking all of that away because he is compassionate. And after all of this, Jesus is understandably tired. He has been up all night. He's been up all night. I've gone through a, a few youth group lock-ins in my day and have found out that I'm not a big fan of being up all night. Jesus has been up all night healing and he withdraws to a place to have some time to, his, to himself. But the people do not want to let him do this. They keep following him, saying, no, we want more of this healing. We do not want to let you go. The people of Capernaum don't want him to leave. They want to keep him right there to ha still experience all of this healing. But Jesus says to them, I must, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Here's the point. Jesus could have stayed in this village or any other village in the countryside. He could leave a lot of people in awe. But his continued movement from place to place from place to place shows that he is bringing everything in his life to this point of climax. He's going around and telling people who he is, telling people about his power, showing people that he has authority over the powers of sin and evil and death. He has the power and the ability to go right to the source of our problem in this world, in this life. He's laying the groundwork 
For when in the future he will be crucified, when in the future he will die a sinner's death, though he himself is righteous. He's laying the groundwork for the proclamation of the gospel. That is what all of these things are showing us about what Jesus is doing. He could stay. He could heal them. But what is his central purpose? These miracles are pointing us to something greater. The people in Capernaum experienced the power of God. And they wanted to keep Jesus right where he was. They wanted to keep him there for a rainy day. For when they got sick, they wanted to have Jesus there to heal them again. But he must go to the cross. Because that is the only way that there can be an eternal and a lasting solution. Healing Peter's mother-in-law, as fantastic as it was was not an eternal solution to the problem of the curse and sin and death and evil. Thus, in order for Jesus to finally conquer as the divine warrior and to finally heal as the great physician, he needed to go to the cross. And here's the point. Oftentimes, all of us, we can come to Jesus like those in Capernaum. Wanting him to flex his muscles of conquering and healing over all of the symptoms of our life. Of the effects of sin and death and the curse. If only Jesus could be the righteous magician in the countryside leaving everyone in awe. Wiping away all of our symptoms of sin. Many preachers, many Christians today will tell you that it's Jesus' role. To stay in Capernaum. That that's what Jesus is given for. To stay in Capernaum and to to wipe away all of the things that pop up in this life. All of the things that are the effects and the symptoms of sin and death. But what is the kingdom of God? Or more specifically, where is the kingdom of God? What is it ultimately all pointing us to? When Jesus brings the blessings of the future into the present, into the now time. He's showing us that ultimately what he's doing is making a people that will be able to live with him in eternity in the new heavens, in the new earth. In this time, we see the kingdom of God in our age present. It really is present. Jesus made it present. It's present in the church It's present in the company of those who have been healed and who have been set free. Whose sin has been conquered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's where we see the kingdom of God in this world now. And we, as a congregation of that kingdom, we are part of God's embassy in the world. Because we are a testimony to all of those in this world that there is rest For the weary soul. That there is healing for our broken bodies. And yet all the while in this life. We can say these things even though we are met head on. With suffering and with death. We may want Jesus to stay in Capernaum. We may want Jesus to stay and focus on healing us. Taking away all of our symptoms. We may want him to come and set up the fullness of his kingdom now. We may want or expect all of these things. But this is the truth for us, brothers and sisters, that God asks us to endure 
the fading power and the authority of this age, the forces of sin and evil, which still come upon us, the power of death, which still overcomes us, so that Christ may be proclaimed throughout all the world. Jesus said, I cannot stay here with you. I need to go elsewhere. I need to teach others about who I am. I was not sent to bring healing temporarily to the people of Capernaum. Jesus is our great physician. He is our divine healer. But in this life, it is often felt more so in Jesus' bedside manner. He holds our hand throughout the storms of life. He reassures us that he has healed us, that we have to wait just a little while longer. For one day, all will see the power put on display of this divine warrior and healer. When all those clothed in the eternal righteousness of Christ will have the curse and all of its symptoms and all of its effects wiped away forever. That is what Jesus does as the divine warrior. He conquers sin and death and evil. As the divine healer, he says, one day it will all be wiped away. But for now, in this world, what does the kingdom of God do? The kingdom of God accepts joyfully the sufferings of this life because God asks us to do so in order that Christ may be proclaimed throughout all of the world. God knows it's not easy. God knows it's not easy to face all the trials of this life. God knows it's, it's, not, it's not easy to remain faithful and trusting in a sovereign God who is in control of all things, even though his people have oftentimes to go through trials, tribulations, the challenges of this life, which is often very unfulfilling, which oftentimes nag at us, which oftentimes pull us down. God asks us to endure all of these things. Jesus asks us to endure all of these things so that he may redeem more, so that Christ may be proclaimed throughout all of the world. One day, we will know fully and finally the power of our divine warrior and healer. But now we can be assured through the gospel that it is true that evil has been overcome and vanquished and that one day he will set all things right again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the assurance that we find there. In Christ, our warrior and healer, the great physician, who sits at our bedsides now holding our hands, assuring us that all will be well. Thank you that we can trust that that is actually true, that he actually will raise us to new life and give us eternal life with you the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We respond to